within Europe, because it's so difficult to uh, get consensus and, and get a common direction, the U.S. is sometimes used as kind of like the threat, is used as the villain. Like, oh, if we don't do this, the Americans will do this to us. There is a, a creation of a sense of fear that's sometimes used to prompt Europe to do actions in its own self-interest. This is kind of familiar, but it's also kind of tiresome. Hello, Space Watchers. I am Emma, Senior Editor of Space Watch Global, and this is a new episode of Space Cafe Radio, your radio channel dedicated to emerging trends and live conferences in the space sector. Today's guest is Scott Pace, the director of the Space Policy Institute at George Washington University in Washington, D.C. Scott served as a deputy assistant to the president and executive secretary of the National Space Council during the Trump administration. So he was the right person to speak about the complex gray area that includes space policy and defense. Together, we discuss about the Artemis program, NATO, Ukraine, and the role of Europe as an ally and as a new potential space security force. So listen up and enjoy his insights. Scott, thanks a lot for being here with us. Welcome to Prague. Pleasure to be here. First question, how can you strengthen the partnership between the allies from a military and an economic point of view? Well, one of the things when looking at national space policy and national space power in general, uh, you have to look at really all the sectors, economic, military, as well as diplomatic and scientific and exploration activities. So in strengthening relationships, you need to look at the whole picture and not just any one, one aspect. And the reason for this is that these different aspects of space development wind up reinforcing each other. So for example, One of the reasons the United States wants to see the Artemis program go ahead and exploring the moon and, and so forth is not merely for scientific reasons and not even merely for economic possibilities, you know, mining lunar resources and so forth. The Artemis program talks about wanting to have international and commercial partners and that by having international and commercial partners engaged in a complex common endeavor such as, you know, developing and exploring the moon, what you also wind up doing is developing the rules of the road, developing norms of behavior. That is, you create the diplomatic environment in, in which all these countries and private sector operators work together. So it is not merely machines going out there, it's not merely astronauts going out there, but you're also developing relationships and you're developing uh, societal norms, uh, guidelines, and so forth. This is the reason why the Artemis Accords were very important, not because they created any new international law, but because it was a way of getting everybody to be on the same page. If you have countries that are used to working together, have a common approach toward the shared domain that they're operating in, this also improves security because security depends on people having a common understanding of what the rules are. They know how to work together so we can communicate, navigate, move, maneuver, transport objects through in and through space. So the most important thing for improving the relationship between the U.S. and and its allies is simply to work together. It is, it is to do things that are hard and difficult and to do them together. And then after that, you can start looking at the rest of the menu, whether they be exploring the moon, dealing with space debris, providing military services in different parts of the world. But the first issue is simply to make the commitment to work together. And speaking of work together, which do you think are going to be uh, new uh, bilateral U.S.-Europe flagship Projects. That's a difficult question because I don't know that there's going to be any specific bilateral cooperation. We have a lot of scientific cooperation with individual 
European countries. Obviously, we've worked with the European Space Agency for many, many years. So, of course, the Gateway Program and then eventual missions to the lunar surface are probably the, the most obvious ones. The interesting question, which is not totally up to the U.S. to answer, is the role that the European Union will play in security matters. So ESA, of course, doesn't uh, do security. Uh, national space agencies in Europe seem very focused on economic development, although with a little bit of security work, uh, particularly France, uh, I think has been very clear about security concerns in the UK as well. But the European Union is talking about more projects that have this dual-use aspect to them, uh, GovSatcom and, of course, Galileo and Copernicus, although those are not purely military programs. They're, they have these sort of dual-use aspects to them. And this raises the question of what role does NATO have in this? NATO has identified space as an operational domain, and uh, so many NATO countries, of course, uh, depend and uh, uh, find space uh, systems to be important, uh, no more so than Ukraine uh, right now is uh, space systems play a very, very important role, both military and commercial systems. Um, so the question is whether there is a, a goal of strengthening NATO, which I think would be probably the U.S. preference. That doesn't mean there can't be a large role for the EU. One way to think about it is to make a distinction, which is often not well understood, between what are called organized train and equip functions, which is done by military services, and execution operations, which are done by combatant commands. So in the United States, you have the U.S. Space Force, which organizes trains and equips. You have U.S. Space Command, which takes forces presented to it by Space Force and other services, and then implements uh, military tasks. And so there is the organization that organizes things, pulls things together, develops R&D, develops weapon systems, and so forth. Then there's the combatant commands that actually execute. And so in the U.S., uh, we have Indo-PACOM in Asia, we have CENTCOM in uh, the Middle East, we have UCOM for Europe, and so forth. So the question for Europe is, will the EU be something like uh, a space force in terms of organized training and equipping? But NATO... Uh, will be the entity that will actually execute and implement those space forces. I have a hard time imagining the EU uh, being an implementer of military force, uh, although I know there's discussions of a European army and and these things go on. But I think uh, in the near term, uh, it's much more possible to imagine space systems being developed, dual-use system being developed by the EU, but NATO really being the entity that would uh, deploy and use them. Do you think Europe is still too focused on its own internal issues? Well, certainly Ukraine has changed that. I think if it, it would have been uh, fair to say that Europe was mostly focused on its own needs, but not without cause. The flow of migrants across the Mediterranean, problems of instability in, in North Africa, Syria situation, uh, all of these things produce security threats uh, to Europe that very understandably Europe wants to focus on. Uh, just as the United States has concerns in the Western Hemisphere and focuses on Latin America, there's a natural European focus on Africa. Uh, with our uh, Japanese uh, ally, uh, of course, there's a focus on, on Asia and uh, what happens there. So I wouldn't say that, uh, that Europe is, is overly focused on just its own backyard. I think that has been the tendency for many years. I think that is changing. I think Ukraine has, the Ukraine conflict has accelerated that change. And I think that uh, in the upcoming NATO 
meetings where South Korea and Japan may attend for the first time. Uh, as observer, you may see more discussion about different areas of responsibility and concern. For example, France still has uh, overseas relations uh, in, in Africa and in the Pacific that it's going to be concerned about. I think everyone has concern about China's role in the global economy. But it, it's, it's important for Europe to really look beyond just its own borders because problems that seem to be far away can quickly wind up on your doorstep. Yeah, and neighborhood is important indeed. The neighborhood is important. So how does the U.S. regards Europe's approach to its own autonomy and its own sovereignty? Do you see it as a threat or you see it as a welcome sign that Europe wants to take more responsibility? Well, I think that um, in general, it depends on how it's done. If, for example, there is a, a greater European commitment to multilateral structures that already exist, such as NATO, and to maintain strong bilateral relationships, which also exist with the U.S., then I think the U.S. can only only welcome it. If buildup um, and strengthening t basically turns inward and focuses only on, on local European issues, however important they are, uh, without a picture of the larger world, then I think that will be a loss. I think th one of the things that is kind of a, um, how, should I, how should I say, an unnecessary irritant that comes up oftentimes is that uh, within Europe, because it's so difficult to uh, get consensus and, and get a common direction, that the U.S. is sometimes used as kind of like the threat, is used as the villain. Like, oh, if we don't do this, the Americans will do this to us. Oh, if we don't do this, we'll be ignored. Oh, if we don't do this, we'll be subordinate to the Americans. There's a, a creation of a sense of fear. And that's sometimes used to prompt Europe to do actions in its own self-interest. This is kind of familiar, but it's also kind of tiresome. I think that uh, one of the things that's happened in the last few years that's been, been very healthy is that there's been some more frank discussion from the U.S. side. Everyone knows I worked for the Trump administration and I worked for Mike Pence, which is one of the great experiences of my life. And although maybe the terms were not we're not uh, posed in the most diplomatic way. The argument that Europe need to take more responsibility for its own defense was clearly transmitted. And I think, again, as we see in the case of Ukraine, was none too soon. So uh, the tragedy that of war in Europe, which people thought could not really ever happen again, in fact, is here. Um, and so uh, I think that we're maybe approaching a situation where uh, some good will come out of this evil, and that good will be uh, a stronger Europe, a more self-confident Europe that stands on its own, but in partnership and friendship with its traditional allies. So I think it's helped clarify things. And I just kind of hope that uh, politicians don't need to continue to use the argument of the U.S. being a, uh, being a problem to do what Europe needs to do in its own self-interest. Where do you see weaknesses in the U.S. Uh, policy or in the U.S. programs? Well, uh, obviously, um, as a self-interested comment, I would say that uh, space policy is fine. And also, uh, while I disagree intensely with many, many aspects of the Biden administration, I have to say that they've maintained policy continuity in key areas such as Artemis and Space Force. There is bipartisan agreement in the United States on the importance of space and on the threats posed by China, and now, of course, also increasingly now by Russia. 
So I think that the, the, the weaknesses and threats in the U.S. are really in the areas of implementation. I think we're moving too slowly on civil space uh, situational awareness. I think we have a lot of opportunity to do more with that. We've moved too slowly in that area. I think our acquisition system could be faster and more agile and commercial. And I think that uh, it's really the areas of, uh, of implementation. Not a space weakness per se, but a, uh, I think a national security weakness that we need to pay more attention to is uh, as a result of globalization and the experience with the pandemic, I think people have an increased appreciation for supply chains. We live in a globalized world. Uh, we are going to be trading with countries like Russia and China, but it is incredibly foolish for us to be dependent on them. And we should, that doesn't mean we cut them off or contain them, but it does mean that we diversify our supply chains and we try to focus on ties with countries that we have generally more friendly relations with and that we should not be dependent uh, for critical materials on China and Russia because we can see how quickly political events can turn and our economies and our livelihoods can be can be threatened. Yeah, components are a key problem in the space industry, definitely. Thanks a lot, Scott, for being with us and you have a great day. Thank you. Thank you. If you want to keep the pulse of the space industry, please visit our website at www.spacewatch.global and subscribe to our newsletters. And of course, don't forget to become a space watcher. I'm Emma Gatti, Senior Editor of Space Watch Global, your independent perspective on space. See you next time. Ciao.